Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. Okay, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? Whatever the fuck you want to be called. You know how it goes. This is me. I'm Mark Marin. I host this show. This is WTF. The podcast, welcome aboard. Uh, we have a great show today. I, I actually believe we do. Uh, a couple of old buddies of mine, Jim Short, uh, San Francisco comic originally, who uh, used to actually babysit me a bit. Not in the real way, but you know, in the way that people who are out of control need to be babysat. And also, Greg Proops will be out here in the garage. They're both going to be here at the same time. Maybe we'll get them on the mic at the same time. Well, I think Jim's coming in earlier. And then maybe he'll hang around because I know he's a big Greg Proops fan. And we'll both sit at the feet of Greg Proops and watch him spin around like a whirling dervish of improvisational lyricism. That's what we'll do in a minute. But right now I need to address uh, last Sunday was Easter. I, was, I said I was going to talk about it. I'm going to talk about it. It wasn't like it was a major event. Here's how it all happens. I decided I was going to make a grape nut pudding. I don't know if any of you know about grape nut pudding. I don't know if it's a regional uh, bit of business. It was something that was served at a deli that I worked at when I was in college. Gordon's Deli in Pottingham Circle, West Roxbury, Massachusetts. It was probably the last real Jewish deli, and I mean the last real filthy Jewish deli owned uh, or operated in that area in Boston. Boston's not big on the uh, Jewish delis, and I needed to do that. At that point in my life, it was the best job I could have had because I must have been 20 years old, 19 maybe, and I decided that what I really wanted to be was an old Jewish man who worked behind a deli counter. That's what I needed to do. But this wasn't New York Jewish deli. They had some weird shit in the Boston Jew community, a lot of different kinds of breads, Four different kinds of rye breads. They had sisal rye, they had dark rye, they had light rye, and they had pumpernickel. They had weird kinds of puddings, and this grape nut custard was one, and I loved it. Now, you can just imagine me, little 19-year-old me, hungover all the time, coming in early to make sandwiches, cut bagels, flip eggs at Gordon's Deli. And the place was owned by a guy named Shell, who must have weighed, I'm going to say, 900 pounds. That's probably an exaggeration, but you know what I'm saying. He was like seven feet tall, and he just used to sit in a booth eating boneless spare ribs from the Chinese place next door going, Mark, Mark, can you get me a soda? Can you get me a soda? Could somebody get me a soda? And then there was a couple other guys there. There were old timers back behind the counter. Uh, This guy named Robert, who didn't speak English. He spoke some sort of Spanish Yiddish. That would just, uh, you know, occasionally he would draw something on a blank piece of paper. Uh, he'd hold it up to me. It would be a, a, a sort of sketch of a, a very quick sort of, you know, Im, you know, like almost a childlike sketch of a penis. And he'd say, uh, this is your self-portrait. And I'm like, well, you, you, it's your self-portrait, I guess. You, you drew it. You mean it's my portrait? Ah, yeah, a lot of that. Then there was Abe, who didn't always hang out. He was an old man, but he was shell-shocked from World War II. Couldn't quite handle anything. And there was me. But, okay, so that was the Jewish deli portion of my life. You know, I did work early on in a, in a bagel place in New Mexico for a New Yorker, but it doesn't count like this counted. So the grape nut custard. I got it in my head. I'm going to make a grape nut custard. 
And my roommate or my boarder or my housemate, that's what we're going with, housemate, Stosh, she loves grape nuts to the point where it's, it's weird. Like, I mean, she could eat grape nuts three times a day. She just loves them. I don't have anything against them, but I think they expand in your, in your intestine. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's good. It's just my, my opinion. I, I mean, I eat them. So I decide I'm going to make this. And she says, why didn't you tell me about this before? I said, what, what do, I have to tell you all of my secret grape nut history. You have to know everything. She goes, oh, you, you're going to make it? And I made it. And I made it twice. And it came out good. It's basically just a baked egg custard with a layer of grape nuts at the bottom. Spectacular. So I make this. And then we decide, she, I got nowhere to go, to go for Easter. And I don't, I don't know where I'm, I don't go anywhere for Easter. No one even invited me to a fucking Seder. I, I am out of the loop. And I don't know if I'm going to go. I don't like to socialize. I don't really know her family. You know, we, she's been living with me for like four or five months now uh, at the house. I've never really, I met her mother briefly. I met her brother once or twice, but I don't know them. And then part of me thinks like, well, they should know who their daughter is living with because we're probably going to get married. I, she doesn't really know this yet, so don't say anything to her. And I don't know if it's if it's really going to happen, but it seems like we've got a lot of the other stuff out of the way. We can cohabitate. We can watch television. We get along. We eat food. We sit across the table from each other, uh, minding our own business while we work. It, what else is there? It's done, right? Then there's just the other part, but the you know the actual intimacy and 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 making it into something else that I don't, I don't think we're really into. Though we did date briefly a long time ago. But that's not, that's not the issue. This is neither here nor there. So I decide I'm going to go to Easter, and it's Greek Easter, and she's built it up to be this big deal. I don't know what to expect. Are there secret rituals? Is there another language being spoken? Uh, is, is it, uh, are they going to be frightened of the Jew? I didn't know what to expect. I know her dad's, uh, you know, he's in, he's in the business, and her mom's uh, studying to be a psychotherapist or a psychologist. Her brothers are, are both nice guys. And, uh, well, I only met the one, but I, I figured the other guy was a pretty nice guy. So I'm like, why not? Why, why don't you just go over there and have a nice time? You don't, have, you're not some sort of outcast. You don't have to be in self, uh, induced exile. You're not a freak who's incapable of socializing. You enjoy people. You like to go places. So I go over there and sure enough, it was going to be great. I went out back. Her brother had three whole legs of lamb on the grill cooking. Her dad was chopping something. Her mom had laid out all this food. Anywhere where there's food, where there's a buffet, I'm in. Because as you know, some of you, I have diminishing buffet syndrome that I had to fight, which means that even when I know there's going to be an endless supply of food, I really need to start eating as quickly as possible out of fear that it will run out. Even if I get full immediately. I, did, I have that thing. I, maybe it's childish. I don't know what it is. But I get there. I meet her family. And then... You know, other people start coming over. They're bringing food. I brought the grape nut pudding. Uh, Stosh made some uh, phyllo dough and, uh, you know, uh, thing, which is everything that Greeks eat for dessert. Uh, we had custard on it. And then these other people came and they had uh, like three daughters and one son, 16-year-old son. And the daughters ranged from 20 to about 28. You know, one of them was in medical school. The other one was on a scholarship somewhere. The other one was uh, well-adjusted and smart. The, even the, 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 the young kid, the 16-year-old, he's going to Berkeley. The parents looked healthy. Everybody seemed well-adjusted. Now, look, Greeks aren't that much different than Jews. You know, we have uh, tight, loud families that, uh, that talk a lot. But there was just something about being around so many well-adjusted young people that didn't make me feel bad, but I felt that I was hiding something. I don't know if you ever get that feeling. And then like the, all the grownups, her, her old grandfather was there. It was spectacular. 
real family. It felt really good. It was really fun. And then all the the older people sat at a, one table, and I was sitting with Stosh and her friends and her father. This was a, a, a big kick in the balls, in a way, in a nice way. I got it. He says, "So you you found your way uh, into the 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 children's table." And I'm like, what does that mean? And then I started thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm like 12, maybe 15 years younger than some of these people. I need to take a fucking reality check because there's some part of my brain that doesn't get any older. My mother always used to say that. She's like, I don't feel, you know, 70 or however old she is. I feel like I'm 25 because there's some brain that just doesn't grow up. My my mother's, you know, never did. I, I was dealing with a 25-year-old most of my life, and I still am on some days, but she seems to be getting the idea that she may be aging because she keeps hurting herself at the gym. But I'm sitting there with these with these kids. I mean, they're not kids. They're in their 20s, but they were also fucking well-adjusted and pretty and clean, and I was just sitting there, and I had moments where it was I was talking to everybody. I'm talking to the one girl. She's going to medical school. She's marrying a doctor, and there's that thing inside of me that's like, what the fuck did you do with your life, you filthy bastard? Look at you. Look at what you're hiding. Think back at what your life is like. Look at what you've done. You've been living the life of some artistic gypsy your entire life, on and off the drugs, in and out of beds with any number of women. You've been, you know, you're filthy. Married twice. You can't keep your shit together. But what was coming out was like, really? So what? Uh, what? What? What branch of medicine are you studying? Inside, it's just like, oh, you're disgusting. Don't even think like that. Look at what you're doing. You're surrounded by clean, well-adjusted people that actually studied and you know and, and have prepared for life. And look at you. Look at you. But that that was not what was coming out. What was coming out was, oh, that sounds really interesting. No, it's, uh, that's an interesting field that your uh, your fiance's in orthopedics. My dad was in orthopedics, and you disappointed him too. I mean, it took him years for him to even get the idea that you weren't going to do anything with yourself other than this comedy thing. I mean, what I was going through inside was was phenomenal, but I wasn't ashamed of it. I was somehow proud of it. I, I really believe that like in that moment, it's like I could see exactly where where people's wives go who do all the preparation. You, you know, they get all their ducks in a row and then they they whatever you do with ducks in a row. I don't know what you do with ducks in a row. Is that like they're following you or are, are you one of the ducks in a row? Are you behind a row of ducks? Whatever the fuck it means. So they got it all set up. They, they've got steps to take. I was just in a free fall. I am in a horizontal free fall most of my life, which was very exciting. So most of your energy doesn't go into anything productive uh, in terms of looking at the future. It's just a never-ending, tumbling series of events and damage control following the events. That's your job. I'm, I'm in the damage control business. And I don't, I don't know that I regret it. I feel, I, I don't think I've ever felt this in my life before, but I, I'm, I'm quite proud of my life, even though I've been a filthy, dirty <laughs> Jew, artistic bastard, uh, you know, comedian, uh, you know, unsuccessful husband, drug addict, freak. But look, I made it through that tunnel and now I'm sitting here in my garage, the king of my garage. So I was just, I guess what I'm sharing with you 
is that, uh, you, you know, I didn't feel like I had anything to hide. Obviously, I didn't, you know, bring up the fact that, you know, I've been dating a dominatrix. I didn't, you know, I didn't, you know, talk about, you know, doing cocaine. And, you know, if they want to hear that stuff, they can listen to the podcast. But inside of me, it was teeming. And there was part of me that was thinking, really? There's not one fucking broken, badly adjusted youth here. I mean, there's not one troubled where are the troubled kids do greeks kill the troubled kids do they they put them out to pasture do they kick them out oh my god but uh it was it was pretty nice it, it actually made me feel uh pretty good to be around a, a family that was uh so tight and and well adjusted not that mine isn't but they aren't and and i guess we celebrated uh, jesus you know coming back to life the big trick and uh and we ate lamb and pasticcio and the grape nut pudding was excellent i think that uh my my housemates uh, parents liked me so they won't be shocked uh if indeed this turns into um in, in, if we have children that's all i'm saying she doesn't know anything about this all right so don't say anything I don't know, man. You get, you seem to spend a lot more time out there than most people. Well, I I did, but I think the last year I've not done that much work. It could be because um, I don't have anybody good working for me getting the the gigs, but lots of so-called bigger name people are back in clubs. Yeah, that's always Nobody's good, doing theaters because it's too much of a risk. I mean, unless you're an actual theater draw. Big draw. But now it's arenas. People are doing arenas. Yeah, and, I'm thinking and, about booking it. My guess is Jim Short. Uh, he's a, a, a journeyman comedian. You may not know him because you should, but uh, he has a hard time promoting himself, and we're going to try to get to the bottom of that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah. Is this? I've decided is this, that you is this need... the, the Marin. Uh, uh, you, I mean, you're, you're the Doctor Phil of uh, podcasting. That's right? right. I'm just here to tell you that uh, no one's going to come get you, Jim. No. No, no not. one's going to come get you and bring you in. No. You no. got to bring yourself in. No. You did. Uh, you've been on Conan, and you've been on Letterman. What twice? I was on Conan because of you. I know. Basically, uh, you pulled the strings and uh, I made called it happen. Up. I said, "This guy's good. Put him on." weren't they looking for somebody, and they didn't? They, they didn't want to go. Uh, they were in a bind. They're always, they were really strapped for somebody. It was. It was uh, between Christmas and New Year's, right? And you were on. You were on the last show, and I was on the first show of the next year. Yeah, they the old show, they used to always been in a bind, but nothing as big as the bind they were in a couple weeks ago. What a bind, huh? Yeah, they couldn't get out of that bind. There was, maybe he did get yeah. out of that bind. <laughs> well, they didn't want to. It, I don't I don't know. That was, uh, it was a bad situation. I went over there one day. I was backstage, yeah. and, um, and the place was just massive. Did you go? No. No? I wasn't yeah. going to go unless I went on. Yeah. I don't go hang out places. Oh, okay. Well, I'm just, I, it's just I, I've got, uh, I just don't do it. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have such a relationship with the place, too. Well, not really. I had no relationship with well, that show. I would have been on it. Beforehand. But, yeah, I did. But that didn't seem to uh, carry over. But I, I was leaving, and I walked down a hallway. And the funny thing is, I was just walking all over the place. I mean, you know, within reason backstage. Sure. I walked down a hallway, and then Conan just walked out from the show. Yeah. And I, I kind of turned around and left. Went back to where I was because I'm not gonna. Yeah. Hey, good show, man. Yeah. Maybe I was that. Maybe I'm in the wrong hallway. I've yeah. come too far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd just be sitting in. But Conan's it was, it office. was the whole way to leave. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're gonna go back. And I was gonna give him notes. Yeah. I remember going on at Letterman, and he and I was in the stairwell, and he was running up and down the stairs. 
Like it looked like it was some sort of pre-show thing he did, like for exercise or the, something. The stairwell that goes up to the yeah. to the dressing room, right? And he was running up and down that. Yeah, I saw him running down the stairs. Well, they kind of the they kind of keep you um, uh, away from everything too. Uh, oh, at Letterman, it's almost like you're Rapunzel. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're like in a in a tower. Somebody know, comes know. to get you. Yeah. Yeah, you're up in this little room with one picture on the wall of like Joe Lewis or somebody or Judy Garland. Yeah. And you feel like you're way up in the tower. Mm-hmm. And, you, and, they, and then you have to walk downstairs for makeup. It's like literally you're you're uh, in uh, some sort of weird cell up there. Well, I, I did it once and I got bumped this time. But I was up there and it was a full, as it was a bunch of people because they were doing two shows that night. So there was a band in one room. Uh, an actor in the next room there was the main guest i think there's a floor downstairs where the, yeah. the big dressing room is and i was there but when i be- went back and actually did it yeah. i was up on that floor by myself and it is the weirdest feeling because it's just you mm-hmm. up there mm-hmm. well, and, and it was the first time i'd done the show so i was panicked like this i hope this goes well yeah and it's just this this silence of just being up there and just oh, waiting yeah and al gore was the other guest and they were like oh you can go down and talk to al gore if you want like yeah i'm yeah. gonna go just wander around and find al yeah, I, you know, I don't even know if I would take anyone up on that. Yeah, I, I have a great deal of respect for Al Gore, but I couldn't imagine just chit-chatting, really. I know. Well, I wanted to go look in his room and see, you know, did he leave all the lights on? Did he, oh, yeah, right, did right, he right. Did he have right. his yeah. laptop plugged in? And he yeah, brought yeah. An, ex, an extender. Is he recharging his phone? There was a waffle iron cooking. And yeah, yeah, a curling iron, and everything else. A lot of wasted electricity. Just walk in there. like, Al, hey, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, <laughs> well, let's, let's turn some of this shit off. <laughs> So, Jim, you see, I, I should explain to people. Jim and I have a long, uh, a long friendship. He knew me back in the day when I was still uh, quite uh, full of drugs, and he used to go on the road with me and sort of uh, make sure I stayed out of trouble. Sometimes, I think the Stones called it a minder. A minder. <laughs> there's a couple. There's a couple weeks there where Jim was a minder. Back I, when I, I was, wasn't any good at it, though. Back when I was married the first time. Now, I remember in Sacramento, I think you, you saved my ass. Well, there were different periods. There were, there was definitely um, sometimes the drinky Marin. Yeah. There was the cokey Marin. Yeah. There was the milkshake Marin. Oh, the milkshake Marin was... Uh, that was yeah. the easiest to deal with because... <laughs> Because uh, hey man, let's go get a let's go get a black and tan over yeah, at that yeah. Johnny Rock. Black and white, a black, black and, and white. white. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was the sober Marin. That was that was the easy one to deal with. Was... And, and then and then the like real cokey Marin was after that one. Oh, oh really? So I went. I, I was yeah. clean for a while doing the milkshakes. And yeah, then yeah. Real cokey yeah. Marin happened. So Jim Short comes to us uh, by way of Texas, and before that, by way of Australia. I'm sure you notice the accent. Something's there. Yeah. Yeah. It's something go, different. You go back to Australia. Uh, I try to go back once a year or so if I can, but it's are the not, folks who's there? Easy. Are they back there? My parents are back there right now. Yeah, and they live there. Yeah, that's a long trip. It is a long journey. Do you work there? No, you haven't. No, I couldn't get any work over there. You couldn't? No, I just nothing. There's nothing. Not for me. Come on. I uh, why? Well, I don't know. I think you got to be there for a while. You got to sort of. I'd go over and do sets, and yeah, nobody was impressed. They resented you. I don't. I just don't think they cared. You're like a, a black guy that talks like a white person in Australia. <laughs> <You're> yeah. not, <laughs> he's he's been encultured by the whites in America. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's too. Uh, he's too. Uh, <laughs> he's been changed by them. No, I, I think if you're not there plugging away at it, like yeah. I would go there every year or every year and a half. Yeah. It just it just doesn't have any any weight. Yeah. And. Um, I mean, I, I don't have, they're, they're just pretty, 
they're pretty easy going over there as far as like yeah mate yeah whatever you know we'll check I worked it in Sydney they take they take some they they're not in a rush to do anything I know that's so. If you're thing. there for three weeks and you're trying to get a guest set, I was there and I sent him like some TV stuff I'd done to one of the clubs. Mm-hmm. And right before I'm about to leave, they called me up and said, "Yeah, why don't you come on down and do do some time?" Like, well, I'm leaving tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for getting you know back to me. But I think they're just nobody's in any rush to do anything. And yeah, I, well, in Sydney, it was it's a lot like you know it's a very modern city, but there's not a lot of stress there. There is that attitude, like you know we're fucking Australia. What difference does it make? No well, one's coming by. You, you, no, no, and you know what's funny is I'm in Australia and they have this attitude where it's sort of like uh, they have, they feel safe down there. I mean, it's like no one's going to bomb Australia. What's yeah, the right, point? Right. Like there's right. definitely this attitude down there. It's like, ah, fuck it. We're Australia. Yeah. 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 We're, we're just down here. Yeah. Well, you know when you go to the beach? Mm-hmm. In, in Sydney? Uh, no, any beach community anywhere. And it's really slow and oh, everybody's yeah. like on their own sort of pace and yeah. nothing gets done. Yep. Imagine a whole nation like that. <laughs> imagine a whole country that's at the beach that's what australia is it's like yeah well my my joke about it is it's like the, the motto is like you know we'll, we'll we'll try and do it today but if we don't we'll do it tomorrow right you know or next week give me a ring yeah it's like indian time i i once read a book about uh uh indians on the reservation i can't remember which reservation it's called on the res and that they, they just have this like things are done relative to uh, how long it's going to take to sort yeah. of get anywhere, yeah. and like they don't like. Uh, there was this thing like if they needed to get up early, they drink a lot more water at night, so they have to get up to pee. Oh, it forces them up. Yeah, okay. and, and that like uh, you know, it, like to fix a car could take a week because they got to figure out how to go get the part. And it's not that they're stupid; they just don't have you know they they don't. There's no impending need to get it done, so everything's built around yeah. the process of doing it, which isn't so horrible. I don't necessarily think Australia is like that, but. But uh, I kind of respected that. Just kind of like no real time schedule. Well, I, th- I think Melbourne, Sydney, you know, I think stuff is a little, there's a lot more going on. But up in Queensland, where my parents live, yeah. it's, you know, there's still points where, you know, everything closes about five in the afternoon. And they have late night shopping on Thursday. Once a week? Yeah. That's hilarious. And so when you've lived in the States where there's 24 hour stuff and yeah. and everything i mean there's a few later night things going on but people don't people don't want to be work they the whole thing is they don't want to work uh past five o'clock why should we why should we work i kind of respect that but well, something something made me frightened at the thought of the, because the thought is like oh i might maybe i want to go buy something or get something or, or get do you know something yeah, that do costs something. money where yeah. can i spend money yeah. I mean, clubs and pubs and, and places like that are open, oh, okay. but shopping and whatever. But I'm used to shopping at two in the morning, coming back from a gig or whatever and going, yeah. you know. And But then you get down there and you get caught into that thing. I'm like, eh, I don't have to do it today. <laughs> It's it's very uh, it's very intoxicating. It very it'll it'll win you over. You're, Are you yeah. gonna move there? Why am I running? Well, I might have to. I might have to. I might have to go back and get some health insurance somewhere. And... Do, you, do you have national health insurance there? Like, yeah. Did you get covered? Are you an Australian citizen? Yeah, you got to be there for a while to get that. But they also have a health insurance uh, that you can buy. But it's not it's not like here where you got to spend all this money on it. You know, right? And, and you. You get a certain amount of it back. It's not. It's not cost prohibitive to, right? Have uh, medical insurance. Over that's there. almost worth it. But it's also, you know, the the thing about it is, is is the population is not that big. Yeah, you got a country that's geographically the size of the U.S. No one's there with, with the population of of Texas. Yeah, there's a few cities on the sides, and the middle is just a big empty wasteland. Yeah, just yeah. like barren, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 
I didn't go out there. I'd like to go out there to see the big uh, rock. Well, you 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 did that gig in Sydney a couple of years ago, but you did Melbourne many years ago, right? But that was one of the worst experiences of my life. I was sent home from a country. Sent home. <laughs> because I had a nervous breakdown. It was horrendous. Well, it's funny because most people were deported to Australia. No. I, yeah, you I, were sent out. I was sent home for, wow. for, for having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I don't like telling that story because they, and here was the- Because there's no positive there. There's right. no like, hey. And then like I run into Mary Tubin years later, you know, and I'm like, oh my God. And nothing ever goes away in this business. Right. But the weird thing was, is I had not seen her in a long time and I went to Scotland. And then that guy walks in, a guy who, who I, I didn't recognize him at first, but I knew his name because I said it in the story. A guy walks into the bar in Scotland and um, and I'm like, oh my God, I know that guy. It was that guy who opened for me in Melbourne, that guy, Greg Fleet, right? So I said, I know you. And he's, I'm like, I'm the guy, remember they sent me home? He's like, oh yeah, kinda. But I didn't have no idea that over the years, because this, you know, this is, there's 10, 12 years between, you know, then and now. I mean, that must've been 1991, 92. And I was just in Scotland last year. So 15 years, right? Yeah. And I hadn't seen Fleet, and I didn't know he was a n- notorious fuck up, like you know, a complete, you know, strung out heroin junkie, you know, like oh uh, really, yeah, like you know, everyone's just waiting around for him to die, but everyone loves him, kind of guy. So I had no idea his life or his history, but he sits down with me, and the waitress comes over and takes the order, and I still have a club soda, and he's like, "Guys should be having that too," and I go, "Why?" He goes, oh, "I just got out of rehab," and I'm like, "Oh, all right, well, maybe you should," and then we started talking, you know, and I'm a sober guy, right? And then, uh, you know, for some reason, you know, he's been in and, of, in and out of rehabs for, you know, 15 years, you know, and has a really bad problem and can't stay sober. And I talked some shit to him. And somehow or another, we ended up going to, to meetings every day that I was in Scotland. Really? Yeah. So I actually, you know, succeeded. And everyone's shocked because, you know, it was the Fringe Festival and, and everyone just gets fucked up. But he stayed sober for that month, you know, because I somehow inspired him. I don't know what happened to him, but it was sort of this weird round, round the horn yeah, clo- yeah, closure yeah, yeah, yeah. to the whole Melbourne experience that uh, that somehow I made up for it. You—that's the whole reason you went to Melbourne. You were placed into his life, right? To, so that to write later on, him. you could give him one month of sobriety yeah. in Scotland. I—I I think there's a gift to that. It made me feel pretty good. It made Scotland all the more tolerable because that was no fucking party. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you started doing it, I remember when you first started, you didn't lean on the Australian thing too much. Do you do it more now? I, just, I talk about it a little bit only because I've gone over to visit, so yeah. I have some jokes about it, but right. I try not to to overdo it, but, you know, yeah. I mean, I'll talk about a bit of this and that. I mean, sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, you, t- you just talk about whatever whatever, sure. whatever is funny, you know, and, and since I've gone there to visit a few times, I've gotten some some jokes about just being there because I go back there and I don't live there. I haven't lived there in 30 years. So it's not, it, it's a foreign place to me in, in a lot of ways, you know, you still got a heavy accent, right? Uh, yeah. It, but it's, it's, more, like it's morphed over a bit. I mean, because I've been here for so long, it sort of changes. In fact, when my Letterman episode aired in Australia, people from there emailed me and said, you might be fooling the Yanks, but we know better. You're kidding. The fucking bastards down there. They will not, they hate everyone, including their own. What would they do? Rather, rather than, good on you, mate, you know, apparently I'm the only Australian born person that did stand up on Letterman. I don't know if that's still the case, but it was. Is that true? Yeah. And they were mad about that. Well, they were mad that I was a, a, a fake. 
How are you a fake? I don't, don't know. I guess I don't sound Australian enough. Because you don't live there? I mean, what the fuck is well, that I, about? They, just, they thought I was pretending to be from Australia because there's so much to be gained by that. <laughs> I'm, I'm living in Hollywood now and just living off my Australianness. Yeah, how's that going? Yeah, I'm hanging out with uh, Nicole Kidman and uh, Keith Urban every night and throwing phones with Russell Crowe, your old mate. <laughs> Russell Crowe. What's up, buddy? Who's actually from New Zealand. Really? Yeah. So, so when he when he when he wins awards, he's Australian. When he throws phones and does bad shit, he's, he's from a, New he's Zealand. A, he's from New Zealand. So, where you like? What, what's it like out there, man? Well, I think in the last few years, um, people have. Well, it just depends because I I haven't worked as much over the last couple of years as as I used to. Yeah, especially this last year, uh, because there's not as much work going. Stand up club work right and it really is that thing like if you're not famous people aren't coming out for right. you right they might get some people in but they, it's not because of you it's because they've given them free tickets or right. radio giveaways right and, and honestly it, because it's become such a fame culture yeah that honestly if, if they don't know who you are they're sort of not interested and some of these clubs and so it just depends on where it is because i used to be of the mind that i could go anywhere and i could do what i do and they're all going to get it because basically people well, you're a strong comic. Man. If they pay attention. Sure. But now I think they're just getting in people that that are just coming in for free who have not really invested anything in, in the night. Yeah. And the attention span. I mean, you'll have the, um, the opener and then the feature go up. And uh, within about 10 minutes of your set, they're sort of like, well, we're done. <laughs> they have this about this hour and three minute attention span, and uh, they're sort of done. And then the last call, and then checks, and so there's like this twenty five minute slog through your your silly jokes that that you love, and they're all sitting there going, "Why is it?" I've all, sometimes I feel like Truman Capote up there reading them a book. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just looking at me like why is this man just speaking to us where, where is he from what what is this you what, know? what does he need from us this fellow I, and, and some places i was up in uh outside of detroit i was in toledo and they booed me because i was from another country when was that uh about a year ago really i got up there and i said you know because i have to address this i'm not from here i'm from another country and i got some jokes to go with it and somebody yeah. got boo Really? Yeah, and and it, it's, it's this little sort of xenophobic sort of thing going on. Now, there are some great places to play. You can go to Seattle, and you can go to Washington, D.C., and here and there, and whatever. But uh, there are just some places where people find a... I don't know. It, it's just... But I also think it's, it's, it's how clubs are run, too. If you've got somebody who knows how to run a club... Yeah. Um, and in some places, it's not the case. I, you know, it's gotten a lot better for me in terms of judging audiences because I, I've got a few people coming out to see me, but like I just go back and forth between looking at audiences and thinking like, oh, God, what am I got to say to those people? You know, yeah, they're, they're all yeah. awful. They're just a horrible group of people that are... It makes it sound so bad the way we're going on about it, but I think that there you'd find if you talk to somebody who's really successful and popular, they'd give you a completely different story. It could just be that nobody's coming to see me, so that's what I have to yeah. do. You have to now win people over. And unfortunately, you want to get up there and talk about not necessarily important issues or, you know, I'm going to change because nobody's changing the world with comedy. Yeah. But you might you might be able to bring up this or that or or certain certain things that are in the news and people just don't want to hear about it. Yeah, they're like, we we didn't come here to learn. Yeah, why don't we direct people to your website? Because Jim could sell some CDs. Let's sell some Jim CDs. I don't think they're even available on the website right now. What I'm the fuck does them. that mean? I'm out of them. Are you really? Yeah, 
What do you got to get some printed up? Probably so, yeah. Want to yeah. sell some of mine? Yeah, let's sell some Marin CDs. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the first time. Because I'd seen you on TV. Yeah, your favorite story about me is when I was compulsively, uh, you know, polishing a box. Oh, that was one of the stories, yeah. Yeah, when I was married yeah. to Kim and I was just like, I, I got obsessed with this, you know, wooden box that I really needed to sand and polish. <laughs> that, you know, you always bring that up. That's a good one. That, that was like some obsessive weird thing I was doing to avoid my life. Polishing boxes. Then Sacramento, I remember Sacramento that, you know, that, I think that was milkshakes and maybe a little Coke. But there was a period there where... I, I needed you around so I wouldn't sleep with uh, girls on the road. You know, yeah. My wife's back. The, yeah. the first wife. You helped me out, man. I it was fairly it. successful. Yeah. yeah, we worked out. It worked well, out. Well, well I'm, I'd see, I'd met you in Austin. Like, briefly, we had dinner somewhere. Right. You and I and a few other, but I didn't really know you. But we, we worked together in Walnut Creek. That's right. That was the first time I really got to know you. And everybody was like, uh, it was my first week to work there. And everyone was like, who are you working with? So I'm working with Mark Marin, and people go, ooh. Oh, come on. Well, because you weren't known to be very friendly or nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is, should I not bring this up? Is no, this no, not what the show is about? Oh, it is about that. But I think, so I was panicked. And I get up there, and I'm doing my stuff. And then I think I did a joke that wasn't necessarily similar to one of yours, but it was on the same sort of theme and topic. Yeah, right. And probably not as good. I don't know about that. And then so you get up there, and you're like, uh, whatever. You know, you yeah. come in with the long hair at that point. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, and you're up there, and you're like, well, I'd like to talk about such and such, but it's already been touched upon tonight. Oh, and I was yeah. like, oh shit, I better go yeah. grovel in front of the. And then you you were fine. Yeah, you, you ended up being great. We ended up yeah hanging out, being friends until about a year ago. And then that it all ended. Yeah, <laughs> come on, dude. No, and then we started hanging out because you're like, how come nobody hangs out with me? Nobody hangs out with me. I know. And so uh, you were working the punchline in San Francisco the next week, so I come and hung out with you and. Well, Jim, I, we've I mean, had many adventures since we have, and you, yes, you, you were there for me during this horrendous divorce time. That was one of the, the high point, the highlights of my divorce was a, a Jim Short moment. I'm fucking broken, man, and and uh, I'm at my house, and Jim comes over, and you know, I'm just like, it was just relentless. I think I cried. I started crying uh, because I just couldn't handle it anymore. And then, like, Jim's over, and I'm like, let's just watch a movie, man. Let's just get a little. Little piece, right? And I, I turn the, I turn the DVD player on, and it's fucking broken. And I pulled it out. I unplugged it. I went onto my front porch and I threw it against the ground until it shattered into several pieces. And I was like, "It's nothing." Fuck! I just fucking lost it. <laughs> I'm weeping, and Jim just goes. And Jim splits. I, I left. I have no idea. I'm like, "What the fuck?" I'm like, I just overloaded him. He couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle the emotion. And then about a half hour later, Jim shows up with a brand new DVD player in a box. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> that was fucking awesome. And we sat there and watched movies. That was great. And I appreciate that. You've been a good friend, buddy. Yeah. Wow. So, I wanted to see how the movie ended. But that's what you do. You yeah. know, you, you, there's not much I can do about your divorce situation. That's right. But as far as the broken DVD player, that was great. I can fix that. That was great. Target is just down the street. Yeah, I thought we. I got there 15 minutes before. Yeah, it closed. I don't know how you pulled that off. You fucking pulled it off, and I fucking I'll never forget that, man. Well, thanks for stopping by the garage, buddy. Thank you very much, Mike.
I'm running a small business, Greg. This is the future. This is survival. What we're doing here in the garage is survival. I'm sorry, but our dreams have not worked out the way we wanted them to. Tell me about it, Mark. And, and somebody's going to have to grow the fuck up and take the next step. And if I'm the guy that has to do it, I'll do it. If it's going to be you growing the fuck up, I say right on. <laughs> I'll jump on dock of you growing up. Because apparently I'm still emotionally immature and feel that live performing is somehow rewarding. I, I find it very rewarding. I just don't... I, you know what it comes down to is, after a certain point, how much ass can you kiss? Yeah. And, and how many people do you have to uh, sort of placate and, and cajole into working you? Fair enough. It, it has it ever been different? But as you said, since the dreams don't work out, there's that whole block of the, the giant cloud that, that, that used to be pink and purple and promising and is now <laughs> black and dark and foreboding and horrible and impossible to get through because it feels gelatinous as you go through it. That was my morning anyway. I was hoping to come in here and be peppier, but apparently a disappointment sort of clouded a, on my, the mic, my cloud. On the mic, Greg Proops in a chipper mood. We, now we're going to get the dark improvisational ramblings of Greg Proops. Yeah, that's exactly how I want to be come across to your public, Mark. I want to be the depressive uh, not, I don't, answer to you. I, I don't know you to be that way. I, I'm not, I, not really. I find that uh, in, in my experience with you, you've been a warrior against that. You, you've been a, <laughs> a, a strong proponent of lyrical denial for as long as I can. <laughs> Thank you. That's exactly. I, and if I may use that, I'm going to use that as a pull quote from now on because I love log rolling with other people I know. I'm going to say it was, what is it, lyrical, the proponent uh, of lyrical denial. Yeah, a proponent of lyrical denial. I love that. I love that. That's exactly what I do. Because I refuse to be neurotic on stage or depressive or, re or revelatory. Or Why you got to make fun of me now? A confessional. Exactly. Like you do. Uh, thank you for making me put that on. Uh, but but, I, but I, I am a lyrical denier on stage of, of any kind of depression. Well, yeah, well, that's, uh, well that's interesting because I was wondering about that when, uh, when I was going to have you on. That, like, I, like, I have a lot of people on the show that I've known for a long time. But do people know the real Greg Proops? God, I hope not. Because, yeah. you know, I don't think you want anyone to know the real you. I think that's the best part of show business. And the, the interweb, as we've been discussing uh, previously to coming on WTF, uh, the, I think the internet has allowed a whole new generation to be lied to, basically. Better, almost better than when people didn't have um, all the mass communication and access to information. Because the stream of lies is so unrelenting that like wikipedia for instance there's nothing factual on it at yeah, all well, well can't people there's just, lies about me on my own wikipedia and it's like can't you fix that yeah that's because people can just get on there hold on one second yeah can't can anybody just get on there and just change it i think so I, I i so what the fuck good is it it isn't and anybody who uses the internet as some sort of resource like i saw it on the internet is it like what are you retarded i mean that's the weird thing about <laughs> things now is that people can now cherry pick information that fix, fits their ideology or their belief system and say it's validated yeah it's bullshit yeah look it's look it's printed on the <laughs> cyber <laughs> ink i saw it on my computer like yeah. people still have this relationship with the computer as like they did in 1950s movie like it's this giant <laughs> right, word, right, like, right, you know, right. with giant spinning wheels it's like it's smarter than anything we know <laughs> yeah. it knows everything because it's so fast it's faster than a book is and look at all the lights yeah no Spinning there's no around. fact checking I, I think you can build a legend now and that, that's what i'm trying to do uh is just lie even more on the on the internet because i think it's better than your real life no one wants to know that you sit at home and and cry or that yeah. your horrible insecurities cry are, and masturbate and make your significant other feel horrible because you're so fucking miserable exactly yeah. or, 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 or the, the the bitterness that you feel toward your your fellow friends and colleagues no, no one wants to know about that so I, I try to keep it a little peppier on stage what did Kravitz used to call <laughs> that's Jim Short on the other mic but 
Gravity used to call the television the resentment box. <laughs> it still is for those if you know how to watch. I mean, I'm not resentful of Snooky or Wow or anything like that. But. I, I'm just fascinated that you know who they are. I had to learn who Snooky was the other night because a joke was written for a show I was involved with, and I was like, what am I missing? And then I realized nothing. Oh, no, you're not missing anything, but you do have to know the references. Like, I've never watched the Kardashians, but I know who all of them are and everything. Yeah, you have an awareness of yeah. these people. Do it, you really? Like, you, well, you do too? Well, yeah, because it's in it's in the well, you could choose to ignore it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's out there. I mean, right. I hadn't watched MTV in probably decades, mm -hmm. and then with all this, I was in a condo and and I watched some of it, uh, and it's just you just go, what, what? This is ridiculous. Oh, I know. See, and that's how you can't. You have to. The only way the comics can be up on the references is if they're on the road and they've got nine out, you know, ten hours a day to sit and watch that's television. What it is yeah, that's and you, you're how looking I do at it. it. Yeah. Is it? Well, yeah, I mean, I used to read the tabloids, but the, my soul actually turned into a horrible briquette and just turned a cinder. <laughs> after a couple of, I was reading them for years on the road, and then I'd give them to the, you know, the flight attendants or when then they love you. But yeah, I was like, I, I know who Heidi and Spencer are. I've never watched uh, uh, their show, That's The Hills the thing, yeah. or whatever. And then I, it occurs to me that half the people I read about in those magazines, I've never heard them speak, even the actors. Yeah. You know, there'll be yeah, so yeah. many new actors yeah. and you'll go, I don't know what. I don't either. How about how a about, girl from Gossip Girl sounds I don't like? Know. I, but is this just a, uh, by virtue of the fact that we're just fucking old now? Yes. It is, right? Partly. I partly. mean, because like you don't lock into them. Why would you lock into them? It's well, like, who are these fucking It's also the notion of fame. Yeah. Because you know, you can be famous now just because you're known. Yeah, for a half it's hour. It's not for your you work or whatever. I mean, and, those and, Jersey Shore people, it's like you look yeah. at it, you go, holy I think Jesus Andy Warhol was actually off by maybe 18 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's probably 33 minutes or now so. Now everybody okay. be famous for two seasons. Yeah, yeah, for a couple of seasons. But then, but then they- I'll take two. <laughs> <laughs> Greg, you were pretty famous what, for a while. What does Bella Lugosi say in the, in the Ed Wood movie? He goes, they're using you, Bella. And he goes, let them use me. <laughs> Let them take pictures. Who cares? <laughs> I need a fix. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think of like? How do you assess the 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 success of of Dancing with Stars and American Idol the, and the amateur show? Is it? I just don't understand you mean that fine nineteen forties broadcasting that we've come to know and love again in our era. Right, that's what that, it is. If right. I had given you the idea, if I'd said, "Boys, ten years ago, let's go in and pitch a show where it's a talent contest and everyone's terrible. <laughs> One of the judges is mean." You'd go like, "Dude, they're gonna throw us out." there but but now it's like every show is formatted like that everything's yeah. a competition and everything is open to amateurs and that's how things are determined in terms of what's going to be right. on and, and how programming and is dictated. who gets record deals and who sells records the record industry is completely but, gone except for you know what's her name carrie underwood and kelly pickler a, and, a single a year from yeah. each of the but the whole culture is like that but when we're talking about the presidency to me it's almost like you're not president anymore you won the contest mm -hmm. you're, it's presidential idol that's right. That's, <laughs> That's right. So true, man. And, and you get to look good up there until the next cat comes right. along and people vote on him. And there's mean judges on your ass the whole yeah, time. Absolutely. So right. basically, it's just, you and know, cheerleaders keep, like Paula. Keep they? this yeah. illusion going and, and keep the money coming in. And, but what is it saying about the American people? Why do they watch it? Because they're thinking, like, oh, anybody can do this. Yeah. Or I could do this. You can watch or, it with your family for one thing. And you don't have to explain to your five year old children what Felatio is or right. whatever horrible <laughs> jokes are going down on the network sitcoms. Because right. if you watch network sitcoms, they're almost all venal 
evil jokes you got we wouldn't do them on stage and, and now you know there's a, I mean? yeah, like they're yeah. really nasty and now there's this movement in sitcoms <laughs> where you the people don't even talk like people talk Mm-mm. not that they did to begin with but at least there was some emotional connection between a, an ensemble and now it's just these weird ironic joke machines yeah you know just talking to, at each other and because uh the writers tend to skew a little younger it t- it tends to be fairly graphic and lot, not a lot of subtlety and they don't like to spin things they like to throw everything right down the middle i don't watch anything i'm, I'm I seem to be moving further away from references to just, you know, broad philosophical ideas. But is that bad? I, okay, you guys, Carlin died, right? Yeah. And then you know how Carlin always said he didn't, he dropped doing topical because he hated to work for a, a year on a piece. And then, of course, it's it gone. Turns into garbage, he right. He cares about Carl Rove now. Right. Mm-hmm. So my 10 minutes mm-hmm. on Carl Rove is history. So he went to the bigger, broader, you know, I think God, that's a, yeah. this, this, yeah, this. A, of course, he still did. Even on some of the later specials, I believe there's a fuck Lance Armstrong thing that goes on for 10 minutes. Well, Lance, <laughs> Which will not stand the test of time. But Lance Armstrong has legs. Right. But if it, or, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ball uh, one. One but, ball. Uh, but the, uh, should, I've been thinking about that ever since the day he died uh, because I kept thinking, it really does behoove you to kind of pick a bigger, broader palette and That's, sort of. I always did that by that virtue way. of the fact that I, I just don't check into that shit. I right. can't do my homework. I'm always going to be one step behind in terms of, of pop culture. And I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm so busy trying to resolve you know dense intellectual existential <laughs> issues on a day-to-day basis because that's what i wake up with right is trying to figure out the you know the human condition somehow did you see bush at all doing the double act with clinton when we're going to save haiti no because this is his i'm sorry about katrina yes time yeah. now he's yeah. he's come back to kind of go oh, to try to make up for it, it obviously right, right. everything subtext with him. right right because when katrina happened fantastic i was in europe at the time and the picture on the cover of uh the all the british papers was the two people with help yeah, you remember yeah, that yeah, one yeah, written yeah, yeah, on yeah. the ground? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the Scheidenfreude of all the European stations was fantastic. Like, <laughs> it was really, and I watched the Spanish station, the German station, the French station. They would just come on and with, good evening, I told you so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look at the black people floating down the canal. I told you, I told you. And it was, it's humiliating, you know. So now he's out and then he, they put him on TV with Clinton. And of course, Clinton, uh, able to articulate an idea. Yeah. Uh, sometimes a bit long-winded, but certainly able to get the message across of what he's trying to say. Bush says, after they cut to him, uh, well, my, my, my mother calls uh, me the, 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 other, the other stepbrother. And he meant Clinton. Right. And he said me. Right. And then he had to amend it. And he, but I meant, I meant me. And like, we know what you meant. We already <laughs> speak Bushies. We speak W. You don't actually ever say. When you said you were the commander guy, we understood. That meant you have a button on your desk yeah, and like, a guy carries the thing with you. And then he goes, there's a very serious situation down there. People don't even know if they can, if they can drink water. He's like, well, again. It always comes down to like weird food things. Again, right. You, I know what you mean. Very you basic mean, There's no water and the people need water, but yeah. you didn't say that. You meant they physically can't drink water, which I believe they can. I don't think the earthquake removed everybody's ability to drink, to consume water. And then what should we do, Mr. President? Should we... Uh, a donate to a charity. Should we? Should we arrive there with blankets and soup? He went. Oh, just send cash. Yeah, just send cash. <laughs> Which was one of the best things he's ever said. Just send cash. Finally, we're down to it. Just yep. send cash. <laughs> to whom he did not indicate. Somewhere. Well, you you really got the feeling when that happened that that. Yeah, they woke him up to do that. Yeah. That, like, you know, he couldn't be more like happy with just sitting at home and like, he's All thrilled right. to be in Texas and Dallas, just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And I, chilling you know out, riding his bike. Yeah, 
I give him credit for it because he's the anti-Cheney at this point. I mean, he he doesn't say anything about Obama. He's had the class and dignity not to, frankly. Yeah. And like Clinton didn't when Bush took over. They would keep going to him and go, oh, aren't you going to slam him? And he'd go, no. So he got the ball now, man. Yeah. That's I did how that my works. time. I, 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 I danced mean, for the people for a while. Eisenhower detested Kennedy. I mean, detested him. Yeah. And didn't say a bloody word, you know? And it's like... For Cheney to keep coming up every two weeks and going, he's going to get us all killed. You're like, could you calm down? You had the ball for so long, buddy. Yeah. What, now let's 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 see if we can uh, do some future. Uh, some let's look into the future. What do you think is going to happen? Oh golly, I don't know, Mark. I can't even predict who's going to win sporting events. I've, I'm the worst gambler and I'm the worst prognosticator in the world. Even though I am known as Proopstradamus. <laughs> I think that things are going to get worse before they get better, and then eventually things will get better. I do think this. Uh, having said, having been Mr. Depression today. Uh, Gay marriage, legalized marijuana, abortion—all uh, the things that uh, that that uh, gu- you know, gun control, whatever you can think of—that people get so very upset about and stamp their feet and grind their fists into their hips and go, "This should never happen. It'll ruin the world." All those things are going to happen. And my evidence is, if you want to get to a super basic, stupid CNN level of of discourse here, we have a black president, for better or worse, no matter how much of a groomed corporate tool he was or whatever. Yeah, I'm still, yeah, I'm I'm on board with that. You know what I'm saying? The last election featured two women who are enormously powerful and famous now. Sarah Palin and Hillary Clinton might be the two most famous politicians from America in the world. Right. The world. So... That's different than it was when we were teenagers. So that's a cultural that's indicator. Markedly different. And also, but also with the fact uh, that we have a million medical marijuana dispensaries in California. Is it going to sweep the nation? Maybe, but it means that it's inevitable. And if the, the government end. can get their hands on it, that means they'll make huh. money off it. I mean, that—that's the weird thing about the cash crop thing is that eventually that's going to take yeah. precedent. Isn't Portugal it? and Spain have abortion and uh, gay marriage, so that's all you need to know about the world. Portugal and Spain are not forward-thinking, prescient, leaping into the future. The Catholic countries, right? Uh, so. All these things people think they can stop cannot be stopped. You thought you could stop having a black president? You got a black president. And, you think we, there's not going to be a woman? There's going to be a woman. But, th- but there's also the angle. Like they, the only way they can be stopped is they, if they start corralling people into pens and putting them in camps again. <laughs> yes. And that's one of those things that's like, that's not going to happen here. Oh, yes, it will. Well, that's the thing. That's you're it. into Katrina. Katrina, they put people in camps. Yeah, I, I always, like, I don't get too crazy with it. But you, no. if you really think about it, the, the way that corporations manage power, if there's any benefit to it, is that, look, they'll take the hit and they'll let a lot of poor people die and they'll, they'll deny a lot of people a lot of shit. But if the bulk of the people are still like you know retarded and feeding yeah they're fine with that yeah. so so the the one thing that may that corporatism may provide us is some sort of fight against an aggressive christian fascist element quite possibly i'm sorry that get all heady and no weird. I, no i i agree but i think uh, you know the our short-ass history and our lack of knowing anything about history is what prevents us from understanding that it's okay for countries not to be on top for a while uh, yeah. to be the number one country in the world is kind of an illusory thing because I can point you to 20 different countries that were sure yeah, 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 yeah. they aren't not no more and they ain't not gonna be not never again and they're doing fine you know they're still alive England like, China, uh, England Germany people France. say we're number one and it's like it's, it's actually not that important We'll all be, you know, the the China before the Spanish people quaked in fear that the thought the Portuguese were going to open all the spice routes, get the whole new world to themselves. It required mad wars and genocide to keep the Portuguese from ruling the freaking world. I think everyone should. Then it's the French. Then it's the Germans. Everyone should buy a Chinese flag and just have it. 
you know, because China and India are the future. And I think that we're never going to be really ready to deal with that because we've never even know how much. And we're, you know, San Francisco type comics. Um, China always kind of in a, a player and there. Well the, well, the funniest thing about people like you know, <laughs> ranting and raving about communism, and everything else is like if you shop just about anywhere, certainly Walmart, you're supporting communism. Absolutely, right, right, we're right, all right. supporting. We're all wearing communist pants. That one, exactly. That's so funny. <laughs> That's what I love about them always saying things like "we stopped communism." When a billion people, what is it, a fifth of the world are communist? I don't think that yeah. qualifies stop for me. That's right. And, and also, stop. you're wearing a communist uniform. Yeah. I know it's Levi's and a shirt, yeah. but surprise, it was made yeah, there yeah, for yeah, a yeah. game. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're we're all, we've all done time in San Francisco. Just put it like this: You ever try to get a seat on a bus in Chinatown? <laughs> Exactly. That's yeah. Get get used to it. The thirty Stockton. That's going to be America, I think, in the future. <laughs> I think young people are are uh, at the same time as being fascist, uh, hipper than they were, because no young people don't give a toss about medical marijuana or gay marriage or any of those things that seem to be stuck in the middle of. What do they give a fuck about? Oh, honey, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I can't tell you. I've, I'm hoping that they're not Snooky and Heidi Proud. I don't think they are. I think they, they, there's other people. They too. seem smarter and, and less sexually inhibited and, mm-hmm. and also more technically savvy. Way more. Uh, but I don't know if they're concerned. They're, well, they're just texting. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. just texting. Well, I just text. Uh, I yeah, almost killed myself they're texting. Constantly texting. They're constantly. constantly I've, texting. I've, been, I've been in that place. Well, I always say when the history of this decade is poorly tweeted. Yes, yeah. <laughs> the history of the decade will be 140 characters or less. <laughs> WTF? Everything sucked. Sad yeah. face. Sad yeah. face. <laughs> I'm, I, I, tw- I tweet too, and it, 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 it the weird the, the thing that really. The, around this whole Haiti thing is that this weird kind of like fashionable concern oh I know like people can't get it together to help their fucking neighbor but when there's some sort of trendy concern that you can, actually, you can text and help people I know yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you don't have to do anything so the day of it it was raining here and you know it's just because it's LA and I was making a bad joke I wrote the rain. it's raining in LA the tragedy continues well it happened to be the day <laughs> Haiti happened yeah yeah and I got a bunch of anti-tweets going hey you used the word tragedy today that's uncool That's yeah. not cool. <laughs> it was like you guys it was a bad joke yeah I mean I appreciate that Haiti is a horrible situation and I'm assuming there's people and places dealing with it, and I've sent money and all that jazz. But go, we work in clubs in America. People don't have any money, and they don't have any prospects right now. And things are shocking in this country, shocking. And things are falling apart, and businesses are closing, and stuff like, like you said, helping your neighbor is just about as important. I remember when 9-11 happened, I would say to people, you know, there's people who live down the block from you that need help. Right. Never, you know, you're, there's really nothing you can do now that 9-11's but done. It, but it's like these overnight trends. I'm glad that people are concerned. I'm glad that yeah. money's going the right place. But they use it to define their lack of conscience in their regular lives. Yes. Is that, you know, somehow or another, they never think about anything but themselves. And then this collective event occurs where it becomes trendy to to actually act selfless and, and act charitable. Yeah. And they yeah. log on to that or they jump on board with that. And all of a sudden that, that they have empathy that all of a sudden they're good people yeah. it's, it's fucking retarded and I, I, I would like to complain even more like the old person that I am about the coverage when I saw Anderson Cooper wearing a t-shirt every night I said you put a you put a safari jacket on immediately young yeah man. you're a newsman <laughs> yeah wear your safari uh, jacket you, I don't care if you went to the gym and you got bitching guns or whatever uh, it's it's wildly inappropriate to wear a t-shirt there and then his unbel- he's so inarticulate and he's supposed to be like their big sexy 
foreign correspondent. You remember when he went to Katrina, he'd never seen a poor person before. So that was exciting for him. <laughs> He's at Vanderbilt, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. And then to go to Haiti now, he was he was trying to describe what it was like to come into the airport. And again, I don't want to be Mr. Old Timey, but if it was uh, Edward R. Murrow in World War II who would go, the sound you hear behind me is the sound of the, of the Germans bombing London. This is the Blitz. He didn't go... Anderson Cooper went, you stop counting the dead people. You stop counting the dead people. You stop counting the dead people like that. Like you, you were talking to your cousin who had been thrown into Haiti and was trying to describe it to you. It's like, you're a journalist. Journalist, take a deep breath. Calm down. You're not going to be one of the dead people. I understand you're feeling empathy, but believe it or not, if you coldly reported what was going on now, it would be more useful than you yelling, you can't stop counting the dead people five times in a row. That's not journalism. That's pain. Panic. What's it's crazy, a, it's, it's, dog? A, it's, it's, an, it's American panic. I think that the, the reason journalism used to work is because people got a clear picture and they were actually able to engage their real empathy mm. for the situation yeah. because they got a sense of what was happening. Yeah. Not just some sort of like, oh my God, oh my God. No. Well, listen to uh, the, uh, the, the Kennedy coverage or the Watts riots coverage yeah. or, or any coverage from the 60s where people come in and discuss it coldly like this. They don't go, it's all baby and its head was all, you know, like, of course you're going to see a baby. You're there in the middle of a disaster. Right. And then they sent, what's his name? What's his name on? The Dr. Gupta? Oh, Sanjay, Sanjay Gupta. Gupta. And, and he, you could tell. It had been a while, baby, since he'd been. Like, and they hey, were making him perform head operations. You know, they the pressed ground. him into service, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, yeah, service. Yeah. And dude, he had to do what he does, which is be a neurosurgeon, except with a piece of paper and a ballpoint pen as his, <laughs> you know, no ether. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and I thought, good for you. One, yeah. that you're there and doing it. But two, I don't think you expected that when you got there. I yeah, think you thought get you were going to stand yeah, yeah, there yeah, and yeah. go, well, you know, this is a terrible situation. Mm -hmm. Instead, people mm -hmm. are literally running up with people in their arms. What you would you, do in you this doctor, situation, help me, right. Yeah. Right. right? Not to sort of speculate about what needs to be done in these right. situations. Right. Yeah. Triage. The situation is dire. Things are bad. Like, no, no, yeah. get over here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so Greg, where are you working? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, Vegas, I don't know. We'll see. Because Vegas is, a, you know, who Which, has where you the money there? for that jazz now? Uh, the MGM Grand. Oh, wow. In the Hollywood Theater, which is always exciting because Tom Jones' set list is always on the wall. <laughs> and I, all the years we played there, I've forgotten to take it each year. Because it stays there until one of us grabs it and puts it in their suitcase. Are you wow. serious? Wow. Oh, yeah. And it says, it's not unusual walking in Memphis, Delilah, Daughter of Darkness. You know, all of the yeah, yeah, yeah. Pussy, kiss. Pussycat. Kiss, yeah, Pussycat. Have you met him? I, I did. I did. What in was that 1998, like? <clears throat> 93 or 94 yeah. in England. It was great. Do you go to England anymore? A little bit. I played the Globe last year. Uh, in 93, it was a show called Viva Cabaret, and he was hungover at the rehearsal. And I went up to him and I said, the first time I ever heard uh, Dylan Thomas, Child's Christmas in Wales was in, you recited it on your TV show. You had a TV show in the late 60s yeah. here. And he went, oh. <laughs> and I went, that's all I have to say. I'm leaving now. And I walked away. And then he was really hungover. So we all went to this pub yeah. after the rehearsal. And by the way, he sang Full Tilt Boogie at the rehearsal. He did It's Not Unusual. And he did it twice full volume like he doesn't have a rehearsal right like you would go i'm gonna open with i hate the world and yeah. then i'm closing with my penis and he's a full voice all <laughs> the know, time right 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 he just like <laughs> it happens every day you know bam you know like yeah. there's no restraint so we finish and he goes oh i'm over that's uh and he's a beautiful beautiful welsh voice like anthony hopkins like all welshmen siren hines all of them yeah, yeah. they all talk like this uh, <laughs> it just makes you it makes my pussy quiver <laughs> and uh she goes uh, over. so we we go to this pub in like a shit part of london 
and it's just a regular pub. It's not like a, a hotel bar, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. where you would go. I'll have a dram buoy, and she'll have a, a you know a B and B and a pony or whatever. He goes, uh, I'll have a Fernet Bronca. And I don't know if you know what Fernet Branca is. I have but, no idea. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a it's a root liqueur that uh, you you're, is a, notoriously a hangover cure. Oh, but okay. you have to be a serious drunk to want to drink it because it tastes as if the Russian army's underwear has been rendered into a bottle. <laughs> it's extraordinary tasting. <laughs> and uh, I had a German friend in San Francisco, like, but if you went to like. Uh, um, uh, Tosca's in San Francisco. Oh, They've that. got Fernet Branca, right? Right. Because that's a place where uh, alcoholics roll into at 7 p.m. Yes, yeah. Amping up for the night. So the whole Fernet Branca just to kick my bloodstream <laughs> into, you know, to unclog it. Have again. you drank it? Oh, I have. It's not. My friend Jeff Davis drinks it, and he's quite a, a dipsomaniac. Yeah. So he goes, I'll have a Fernet Branca. And the pub, the barman goes, a what? You know, he says, Bronco. And he goes, We don't have bloody Fernet Bronco, you know. And, and then fantastically switching flavors and moods immediately. Yeah. He goes, Well, then I'll have a peppermint schnapps. <laughs> like, the spectrum of flavor. Really? Christmas candy? You went from digging what, what a mole would leave behind to. So I loved him for that. And then he sang after the gig, we went back to the pub which was on the premises and that's what you have to love about England a pub on the premises at the studio so we're drinking drinking he sat with a bottle of champagne between his legs smoking a cigar right singing all night long and he sang Jimmy Reed uh, we're going up we're going down we're going, going up, up that way down any way you want yeah. yeah and then he did a, a Bill Brunsey song called um, if you're if you're um, if you're black get back if you're it goes if you're if you're white it's alright if you're brown stick around but if you're black get back right and that's the chorus so the next day we're on the plane coming back to America and his son is his manager and as good looking as Tom is his son looks kind of like Rumpelstiltskin <laughs> and uh, oh, no. you have to say his name three times in order to get him to go away and the whole enchilada right he's, he's, he's tiny and he has goggly amphibian he's a lovely man he was really sweet and uh, so I'm getting up there and Tom is reading The Sun and his lips moving fantastic you know mm -hmm. he's at the, like below the Rod Stewart level of intelligence yeah. you know like he's literally reading The Sun like you know Page three, girl, you know, blah, 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 yeah. blah. So I come up to him and I go, Tom, we did the show last. I'm reminding him. Yeah. Because he had to introduce me and he couldn't say my name. That was like an hour. <laughs> proops was not going to happen. There is no Welsh Proops. As you know, his name is Jones. That's a proper Welsh name. Yeah. Smith and Jones. Yeah. Our proper Welsh names. Right. So... Uh, he, I go, hey, when we when we were hanging out last night, like as if I'm part of his retinue, when when you were singing, Mr. Jones, you sang a Bill Brunsey song, and it went, uh, if you're white, it's all right. If you're brown, stick around. If you're black, what's the name of that song? And he goes, it's called, if you're white, it's all right. If you're brown, <laughs> stick around. And if you're black, get back. I was like. <laughs> Okay, that's all I have to say. I'm leaving again, twice in in a 24 hour period, completely shut down. He was awesome. They brought Sandra Bernhardt on to sing with him, and she's because she scared him. He'd done some HBO thing with her, and she'd scared him because of her over, you know. Cock. She's scary. Yeah. Yeah. She she kind of hopped him up, you know, and kind of yeah. you know rub, you know, I'm gonna get at you, even though she didn't. He was afraid of it. She know? scares me when she's on television. Exactly. Yeah. So she's got that sexual sure. threat. Yeah. So uh, they had had her on the show. And they sang a, one of his old, uh, show me a man and I'll show you, you know, yeah. that, yeah, that yeah, old yeah, number. Yeah, yeah. And they did that together and it was really cute. But uh, he, he, uh, he was fantastic. What and I've seen him since then and he's in full voice. Really? He's great, yeah. What kind of name is Proops? Uh, scatological sounding. 
<laughs> is, that, is that the nationality that it comes from? I believe German. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Probst. Jews from Germany, yeah. Probst, 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 Probst. Uh -huh. There's like 5,000 variations of it. Oh. If you go to any fantastic Holocaust monument and... You have Jew in you? Yeah. We're from father's side? Yeah, my dad was Jewish, so... As I said to two Jews on the set the other day, I'm half a Jew, which in Hollywood is no Jew at all. <laughs> Doesn't count. Uh, nope. Can't even pretend to be Jewish. In the rest of the country, it's clear to everyone. Yeah, you're all Jew. All, if you're all half a Jew. Jew when I get to the Midwest. If you're but here, like, really, you're Jewish? I didn't know that. Like, I seem so waspy. Yeah, I, I think you don't see. It's uh, you're hard to pin. Yeah, one side's from Mississippi, the other from Brooklyn. So you, oh, so you covered. You kind of canceled it out. You yeah, can, yeah, yeah. I got shit kicky on one side, and all right. Well, Greg Proops, Jim Short. This was fun. It was like watching a Greg Proops shows. Spectacular. And your website is what? Uh, gregproops.com I'm on Facebook at Greg Proops that's my other favorite one well what's your Facebook address Greg, Greg Proops, Proops yeah. yeah and, and I, tw I Twitter as Greg Proops so I, I have joined the group of the world's worst philosophers putting my 140 characters down I gotta follow day. you I'm not following you and that, that of course uh, Jim Short and uh, myself played the uh, the laughers in this show and well done you, thank you very you much too. And thank you too thank you for having me on Mr. Mark it's nice seeing you thank you for joining me Mr. Shorty Okay, that's it. That's our show. Thank you, Jim Short. Thank you, Greg Proops. Thank you, JustCoffee.coop, that I didn't pow because I wasn't drinking any, but you know where to get that, WTFPod.com. You can go there and get on the mailing list. Very exciting. Weekly updates. How exciting is that with pictures and stuff and deals and me talking in, in type form? Uh, you can read my talk. Uh, surprises? I don't know. I just like to be in touch with you people so I can tell you where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing outside of just talking in your head while you're on the treadmill or in your car or or, or not uh, hurting yourself, hopefully. So that's it. That's it. Go to punchlinemagazine.com as well if you'd like to get up to speed on all the comedy things. I still have leftovers from Easter. I have to finish that tray of grape nut pudding. It seems like it's on me to do it because my housemate will bring things into the house and say she'll eat things but then does not so every day is a challenge to eat goodbye <laughs> <laughs>